Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976 permits limited use of copyrighted material for news and educational purposes. This podcast is copyrighted by the Underground Christian Broadcast. Welcome to episode 48 of the Underground Christian Podcast, where the Bible and the 21st century collide head-on in a spectacular display of shock and awe. Sometimes there is just a lot going on that interferes with producing another podcast, and this summer certainly qualified. Yet maybe, in God's wisdom, he put some obstacles in my way until I could get exposed to the information that he wants us all to know. In the few weeks that have gone by since our last episode, Another town has been reduced to ashes, but not by God, by wildfire, and this town was on the island of Maui in Hawaii. Oddly, the island state, unlike California, is not known for its wildfire danger, but for stable and very moist weather patterns that usually bring lots of regular precipitation. But these are not normal days, so a couple of weeks ago, a raging wildfire destroyed the historic town of Lahaina in much the same way that a wildfire destroyed the town of Paradise, California a few years back. It seemingly came out of nowhere, starting on the outskirts of town. Reports say that firefighters were called out and soon declared it 100% contained, but then mysteriously left while it was still burning. Hours later, the fire roared back to life as tropical force winds reportedly buffeted the island and forced the fire toward the town. Because of the forecast high winds, most of the town's children had been sent home from school, so there were many residences with children inside while their parents worked. These children had no idea what was coming, had no way to know what to do, and had no means to do something even if they knew what to do. The residents were given no warning of the rapidly approaching wildfire because the emergency sirens that were all over the town were never activated, and the cell phone emergency alert system was also not activated. As Greg Reese explains, The warning system on Maui is one of the most advanced and maintained warning systems on Earth. Residents are accustomed to monthly tests, but on the day of the fire, no sirens went off. There were no warnings. The director in charge of this warning system was at a FEMA disaster seminar in Oahu as the fires were devastating the people of Maui. According to documents obtained by H&N Investigates, Ndaya was in Waikiki at the Alohalani Resort attending what was scheduled to be a three-day FEMA disaster preparedness seminar called the Pacific Partnership Meeting. A receipt from the hotel shows Andaya checked in last Monday, a day before the fire started. That same receipt lists a departure date of Wednesday, August 9th, the morning after flames reduced the Heinatown to ash. According to Tuesday's agenda, the day wrapped up with a networking reception at the hotel's Longboard Club from 5 to 7 that evening. The same time, people were running for their lives, trying to escape flames that engulfed the town. When asked if he regretted not sounding the alarm, he said no, because he was worried that the people would run into the fire. Do you regret not sounding the sirens? I I do not. Had we sounded the siren that night, we were afraid that people would have gone Malka. And if that was the case, then they would have gone into the fire. But instead, they burned to death at home including an untold number of children who were home alone that morning because of a school cancellation. 
As firefighters tried in vain to battle the growing fire, they were thwarted by a lack of available water. The water wasn't on. Fire hydrants were dry. And the deputy director of water resource management, who was named an Obama Foundation leader, refused to release water for the West Maui fires until it was too late. He says that in order to share water, Hawaiians need to discuss equity. Really, my motto is always like, let water connect us and not divide us. Like we, we can share it, but it requires true conversations about equity. A former Obama Foundation leader, Manuel, said he considered water an important tool for social justice. Well, there's nothing more socially equitable in justice than an equal opportunity to burn alive in a fire. It seems that, sometime after the fire, Mr. Manuel was quietly transferred to another position within the Department of Land and Natural Resources, according to Honolulu Civil Beat, which first reported the story. Some people, who suspected they were in trouble, tried to flee in their cars, which normally would be a sensible thing to do. But there was nothing sensible about the events that were unfolding in Maui. Without any warnings and without any water, the people tried to flee, but they were stopped by the police who had orders to keep people from escaping. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm under orders to keep them here. And I said, the fire is, is right around Safeway. It's going to hit Front Street. You know, these people got to get out of here. And he said, I'm following orders. No way. And I, so I just kept walking. I'm, well, maybe he knows something I don't. The Maui chief of police was the incident officer at one of the biggest cover-up operations in U.S. history the 2017 Las Vegas shootings. As the Associated Press reported, car after car was turned back toward the rapidly spreading wildfire by a barricade blocking access to Highway 30. One family swerved around the barricade and was safe in a nearby town 48 minutes later. Another drove their four-wheel drive car down a dirt road to escape. One man took a dirt road uphill, climbing above the fire and watching as Lahaina burned. He later picked his way through the flames, smoke, and rubble to pull survivors to safety but dozens of others found themselves caught in a hellscape. Their cars jammed together on a narrow road, surrounded by flames on three sides and the rocky ocean waves on the fourth. Some died in their cars while others tried to run for safety. During a news conference Tuesday, Maui Police Chief John Pelletier said police officers drove up and down the streets knocking on doors and using loudspeakers to tell people to leave. But he didn't say exactly where and what time those efforts occurred. The Associated Press has filed public records requests for location reports and other documentation, including video and internal communications to clarify the details of the police and fire response, but Maui County has not yet released that information. That's the end of the report. No, it hasn't, and it won't be released because FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, has directed local officials to stop communicating with the press. It's also directed state law enforcement officials to block the distribution of all aid that's not sent through FEMA or the Red Cross. Local residents wanted to bring supplies into the town, but they were being stopped. Tulsi Gabbard, a former U.S. Congresswoman of Hawaii's 2nd Congressional District and a lieutenant colonel in the Army, National Guard, reported this from Hawaii as carried on the SGT report. And I'm in constant touch with these community members and leaders. They are still not seeing response from the county, the state the federal government to be able to go out and help them. The community support hubs that they have are 100% community-led, volunteer supply collections, conducting all of these coordinations on their own. They feel like the government doesn't care about them, and and that's a horrible, horrible disservice to people who have gone through uh, a kind of loss that, that we can't even imagine.
Meanwhile, hundreds of children missing, burned alive, more than a thousand people missing and no federal response and barely any state response. And they won't let people get in there to even help others. They won't even let the citizens get in to try to to try to help in the recovery. Yeah, yeah, I've heard, I've heard that. They've, uh, apparently, there's two roads into Lahaina, isn't there? They've blocked both of them off, asking for permission slips. Uh, and they're blocking aid, as far as last I heard. Actually, aid to these people was being blocked. And citizens are having to get boats, go around the island to deliver it. Uh, that, that is just beyond crazy. Is it? I guess that depends on what those who are in charge are trying to achieve. This is certainly not an isolated instance of the federal government in conjunction with state governments apparently doing its best to create the maximum chaos, damage, and death in a natural disaster of great convenience. That's the opinion of Renette Senem, a former California Democratic mayor who has observed FEMA's behavior at multiple natural disaster sites, from the Paradise Fires in California to Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana. She summarizes her observations of FEMA responses very succinctly in an interview on Sarah Westall on Business Game Changers. The thing that I've learned is FEMA is there essentially for a cover. Every over and over and over and over again, they just kind of come in there, they surround the area, they keep the people who want to help out, they make sure supplies are not getting in, they make sure that the suffering and the uh, harm and the death that's been done even increases more. I mean, I've seen this for and over it's again. So hard. They do enough it's, good for the for the mass media to be able to publish it, you know, make some like front cover kind of thing, and then the rest is to do what you think. Right. Yeah. It's it's definitely it's definitely and again, even like when I went to Occupy Wall Street in uh, Zuccotti Park in New York City, you know, I was there on the ground, and what I saw take place versus how the New York Times reported it and the media reported it was two different things. So I say to people, just make it a rule of thumb. That when you hear an official narrative coming out at an event like this, assume it is absolutely incorrect, 100%, until proven otherwise. I mean, I've never actually known an official narrative to be right thus far. That's part of the waking up process is understanding that you can't trust the media at all. Yes, yes, you you can't. It's part of the propaganda. They're a propaganda arm. They're they're literally covering for the criminal syndicate. FEMA seems to be around these disasters, not to render much needed aid, but more to provide a cloak of legitimacy for the U.S. government to fabricate a cover story, as it were, facilitated by the paid actors of the media on behalf of the criminal government syndicate that occupies Washington and most state capitals. And this is the opinion of a Democrat. As Yuval Noah Harari of the World Economic Forum once infamously said, Uh, To get a lot of people to cooperate, you need to convince them to believe in a shared story. Now, sometimes the story can be completely fictional, and it still works. It's all about the stories, and the stories don't have to be true as long as they are effective in getting people to go along with the hidden agenda behind the stories. Catherine Austin Fitz learned all about stories and secret weapons and land grabs when she worked in the Bush administration back in the 1990s. She was recently interviewed by Maria Z and has a number of timely things to say about these topics. Let's start by hearing a little bit about who she is. For anyone who has been living under a rock and doesn't know you, please give us a brief (laughs) overview of your background before we get into some of these topics today. So obviously I'm an American. I grew up in Philadelphia and I, uh, during my career, I went to Wall Street, had a very successful career on Wall Street. I love 
you know, I love financial systems and using financial systems really to, to build wealth. I love, I think of myself as a wealth builder. So, and in fact, we have a program at Solari called Building Wealth. And I, um, so I went to Wall Street then. I figured out finally that everything was rigged from Washington, whether it was the Treasury or the Fed. So I ended up as Assistant Secretary of Housing during the first Bush administration and ran smack into all the mortgage fraud. Left and I discovered the internet, started my own company, Hamilton Securities, and we were using GIS software and relational databases to basically put the small guy back in the game. So technology should advantage the small guy, but if you look at how much is being rigged centrally through the financial system, they've got to be able to sort of see the game and use the technology to improve their ability to compete. And of course that ran against the official narrative of, you know, of centralization of control of both the money and the economy and politics. Anyway, so so we ended up as in an 11-year fight with the Department of Justice and the IRS and everybody you can imagine in the U.S. government. But it was quite a food fight. And um, if you've ever seen the movie Enemy of the State with Will Smith and Gene Hackman, I always tell people I played Will Smith in real life. But it gave me incredible insight into how control works, really works, not, not all the sort of official narratives of control, but really to see how each one of us is controlled individually using digital technology and and the you know and centuries old covert operations and other control mechanisms and and you i learned to look at economic warfare through the prism of the control infrastructure and how it was used basically to uh you know to to control the all the different resources and in a way that we're being harvested so I learned a lot about dirty tricks and economic warfare. That's what I am. I'm a I'm a investment banker who got booted out by the establishment. So Catherine is no tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. She has insider knowledge of how the Wall Street establishment works because she was one of them until she was kicked out of the club. She was hired to be a government power broker where she learned all about the government establishment and how it really works. And she learned about the underlying power structure that fuels covert war operations. The people waging covert war have objectives to achieve, one of which is something that they have been doing for quite a while now, unbeknownst to the average person. One of their objectives is to grab land, which brings us back to the topic of Lahaina in Maui. I also want to discuss with you the control mechanisms that you have witnessed over the years, sort of the patterns that you see and your unique angle when it comes to real estate and property and land grabbing. Um, particularly, I, I heard you recently talking about the international health regulations being that. Uh, so I talk about them. The- I've never seen a more elegant machinery built to steal assets. <laughs> yes. The, you know, God love James Rogowski. He got me to read about a thousand pages. He called me and he said, look, you have to focus on this because this is not health. This is something bigger, but I don't understand, you know, land grabbing. So you need to look at this and we need to do an interview. And we did. Yes. And um, and so and then Sasha heard some of it. And then she said, you know, and she's such a good business person. She's such a, she's a very gifted entrepreneur and business person, as well as understanding pharmaceuticals and health. Catherine is talking about Sasha Latipova, a brilliant woman who has made an appearance or two on this podcast. Sasha is a pharmaceutical expert who first identified the military connections to the bioweapon masquerading as a vaccine, 
and the legal framework that was laid to unleash the bioweapon on the human population. She connected both the U.S. government and the Department of Defense directly to the development and procurement contracts of this bioweapon, changes in laws and regulations that shielded most of the government and its paid agents from all liability when they committed fraud about this bioweapon, and patents that describe how the inoculation masquerading as a vaccine actually operates as a weapon system. She showed how the DOD and the U.S. government secretly waived all normal testing safeguards and production quality control requirements in order to unleash this material on the public without any meaningful safety or efficacy testing at all. She proved that the assurances of safety and effectiveness by the FDA, the media, and government mouthpieces were nothing more than carefully crafted theater, as she put it. It's that Sasha she's referring to. But she said, you know, let's get on and really discuss this. And so we did a great interview that's up on her Substack, and we have it up on the Solaria Report now, where we walk through what are the patterns, you know, I've seen as Assistant Secretary of HUD or as the lead HUD financial advisor in the U.S. And then what did we see in California around those fires? What are some of the other disaster capitalism um, patterns that I've seen, and then what are we watching now in the in the Maui situation and other situations like that? You you spoke about what happened in Maui. I'd really love to touch on that because we had um, it, it seems, Catherine, that every time there's some sort of a huge natural disaster like this, it's it coincides with plans for smart city and redevelopment. We had a similar thing happen in Lismore last year in Australia, where there were huge floods, homes destroyed, and immediately the government's suddenly buying back these homes um, or investors are coming in. People can't afford to stay there. Their insurance isn't paying out. And right. bang, you've got a smart city. So we're seeing this pattern now in many places, and it seems they'll go to extreme lengths to achieve their goals. Talk to us about this, this situation in Maui. So um, I don't know. I only know the information I've had access to. So we're in a situation where the intelligence we would want to make an intelligent decision about what really went down, we don't have. The term intelligence refers to information about an enemy or potential enemy. It could be information about an enemy's capabilities or its intentions or operations. But the object of intelligence is always to gather and evaluate information about an enemy or potential enemy. Keep that in mind. So we have imperfect information. And in situations like this, what I do is I ask questions. You know, so so I call it the unanswered question. So here's what I, I know enough about Maui from the individual and grassroots reports I've gotten to know that before, during, and after was an operation. So there's zero chance that this is anything other than an intentional, I'll call it redevelopment, if you will. And that redevelopment comes with massive genocide. This was a real, uh, you know, this was an act of war. As I've been saying, we're at war and most of us just don't realize it yet. Worse, the target of our government is the world's inhabitants, including the people of the United States. War is a military operation that involves the taking of some kind of ground for the purpose of controlling that ground and the process of taking ground often involves killing and destroying many people and things. That the weapons being used are unconventional and covert does not change the consequences of being at war. Things get destroyed and people get killed, whether the war is overt or covert. Unusual amounts of death and destruction is one of the ways we can tell that we're at war, 
but only if we open our eyes and see what is really happening all around us. But to be fair to those people who do not perceive the war, it's being fought with unusual weapons by people who are doing their best to convince us that the death and destruction are from other causes. But intelligence gives away the secrets, as Catherine will tell us. If you take a GIS map and then you take the drone shots and you look at how the redevelopment plan is laid out, you have very precise destruction of some things and total preservation of others. And if you look at the map of what is preserved compared to what is destroyed, it's thread, threaded throughout the town. It's the same thing we saw in Northern California. Um, and the critical infrastructure uh, is protected. So you literally, so I'll give you an example. You have one property where everything is turned to dust and literally there's a line and he, the next property, which is a beautiful hotel, not a blade of grass is, is touched, <laughs> you know, and the line is perfect right along the, the, you know, municipalities put up the GIS maps of their town and it's right on the property line and it's perfect, you know, and it's precision. And the other thing you have is when you look at the drone shots, there's absolutely no debris, none. You know, how, how can you have high winds, hurricane, and there's no debris all over the roads, but there's none. So the, the precision is extraordinary and it's, um, it's representative of different kinds of, uh, uh, I'll call them invisible weapons that can do these kinds of things. So, and I don't begin to know enough about the technology to know which ones or what combination they might've used. You know, what I can tell from watching the redevelopment map, the you know combination of the GIS software and the drones, is that this was an engineered event. And certainly if you look at all the, you know, the preparations before and then what they're doing after, I mean, it's quite extraordinary that the police chief from Las Vegas is the police chief in Maui and he's also the coroner, and you have Fed teams doing all the coroner's work. It's what, a, what a remark. Well, but here's the interesting thing. It's almost like a ritual killing where they announce to the world what they're doing. Because if you look at, you know, there's been an effort apparently to media uh, blackout, but if you look at what's getting out, it's being made, made very clear what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, you know, the message is if we want your land, you need to go away quickly. We don't have 20 years to do zoning and redevelopment to get your land. We're just going to burn you out. Yes, so. I think that that messaging has been very clear throughout the situation. People are starting to realize just how far the globalists will go to get what they want. And it does mean loss of life. Look at the poison shots. Uh, so I think it's it's more clear than ever, Catherine, that we're at war. We've, we've said these words uh, many, many times and it, it's kind of lost its effect until you see what just happened in Maui and you realise, no, we really are at war well, with maniacs. So, well, but I, I, you know, I don't think they're maniacs. Um, I think they're, uh, I think they think of themselves as a different species. Okay, so, you know, they look at us the way we look at livestock. Remember what you've all said. If too much data is concentrated in too few hands, people will segregate not into classes, but into species. They will become different species. And one species does not look at another species through a lens of morality. Most of us do not wrestle with guilt over eating a hamburger or a McNugget. 
That's how members of a new species would look at normal people. They would look at them as human cattle or sheep or chickens raised for a purpose to benefit the superior species. And which species is that? Why, it's the one that controls all the data. You know, I really went public in 1998, but most of the things I've been saying publicly in 1998, the vast majority of people that I talked to or interact with didn't want to hear and didn't want to know. And one of the reasons they didn't want to hear it and didn't want to know it is the machinery that is being used to control us is being built by us. We are building and financing the machinery that is doing this. And what most people want is the story of why it's why they're good and it's okay for them to keep building the machinery because that's how they make their money or that's how they get social prestige or that's how they get rich or whatever. So the little secret here is real solutions are possible if we stop supporting and building the machinery. And the question is, can we do that? Because we've now done 30 plus years of building the machinery or 50 however many years you want to take it far back, you know, but from the time Kennedy was assassinated on, we've been helping to build the machinery and making a nice living building the machinery. And, and all solutions require us looking in the mirror and saying, you know, we need to stop. What machinery is she talking about? She's talking about the machinery of the globalist fascist state. Fascism did not lose World War II. It simply withdrew to live another day and then rebranded itself. Fascism does not mean conservatives or people who disagree with the unrepentant commission of a wide variety of sins. Fascism means an intimate cooperation between the public institutions and corporate businesses, something that Barack Obama labeled a public-private partnership. It uses police and military power to benefit corporate business interests in exchange for the business of providing direct financial support to the government and its leaders. It creates an institutionalized system of bribery and corruption at the highest levels of government and of business. The corporatocracy feeds the bureaucracy, and in exchange, the bureaucracy weaponizes everything to benefit the corporatocracy. It's the combined public-private system that ultimately will be used to deliver the entire population over to slavery, or what remains of the population anyway, to be ruled by a shadowy band of oligarchs and their families. We not only fund the corporations that are building this system through our investments and purchase decisions, we work for them and create the tools that they will need to enslave us. We manufacture those tools, we deploy those tools, we service those tools, and very soon we will submit to the demands of those tools. We do all this because we like our jobs, our salaries, our professional positions, and the status we gain from doing all these things. We feed the machine that's going to destroy us because we're addicted to that machine. We play with the world system because we benefit from the world system. So the question Catherine is asking is whether we have the fortitude to give up the benefits of the world in order to save the people of the world, including ourselves. Yeah, that's profound. And I, I, I agree with you. When we recently started or released, we've got three parts out now um, of, of the UN 100 goal, the agenda for the year 2045 and within their document remaking the world towards an age of global enlightenment they talk about how every human being will be expected to feed and develop and expand the ai world society and the ai <laughs> world city and they will be rewarded not financially but with credits for doing so the united nations is an organization that was founded by globalists to advance the principles of one world government 
One of the official goals of the globalists is to create a utopia that's driven by artificial intelligence. And they expect you and me to participate in it, not partially with passive acknowledgement, but fully with active participation. One of the ways they envision you and I participating in our own artificial intelligence enslavement is to become a computing node in a vast AI network that connects all human beings through an electronic neural network. They intend to do this by synthesizing our neural biology and merging it with nanoscale machines that will keep our neurons in constant contact with the central AI processors. Our neurons, our brain components, will be used to process data in a vast distributed network of computer components that are controlled by AI quantum computers. Your brain operates far faster than any modern computer, so by tapping into it, along with millions or billions of other brains, this new computing network will be able to perform unprecedented new functions at speeds that will dwarf our current capabilities. That's how closely you will be expected to support and grow the AI system. Your biosynthetic neurons will form part of its hive mind. That is the beast we are creating by working at and for these massive corporations and funding them with our investment dollars. As the prophet Jeremiah once advised from God, Go out of the midst of her, my people, and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. When we play with these New Age fascists, we play inside a beast system that is not what it seems and is leading us slowly, carefully, and surreptitiously to the end that we Christians should want to avoid. As Hosea presently noted in a conversation with God, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that is because, by staying comfortably inside the system, we end up contending with God by supporting and fighting on behalf of his enemy. The Germans who worked in the munitions factories were not the only ones fighting on behalf of Adolf Hitler. So were the people working in the food packaging industry because soldiers need food, and people working in the clothing industry because people soldiers need clothing, and people working in the pharmaceutical industry because the Germans pumped their soldiers full of amphetamines and other drugs to keep them fighting. It's quite possible to fight for and produce evil in exchange for a simple paycheck. If we won't stop building the machinery, it will eventually consume us. Essentially what they are moving to do is to use digital payment systems to assert total control of transactions and then use that to fight, you know, to institute whatever policies they want. So for example, I've always gone back and forth with the people fighting pharmaceutical mandates. And I've said, look, there's no point, you know, you may get what you want there, but as soon as they get transaction control, they're just going to flip it again. So, so what you've got to do is you've got to stop the transaction control because without transaction freedom at an individual or state level, um, you know, so in a state in the United States, if, if the banks and the state government and the municipalities and the citizens don't have liquidity to transact with each other without it being controlled from Washington or Wall Street, you know, you've got total control. What, what, what digital technology gives them the ability to do in CBDCs, but it could be just through the fast payment system, is it gives them the ability to, to set rules at any kind of jurisdiction level. So it could be globally or it could be locally where you set the rules. It could be in the National Central Bank or it could be at the BIS. 
to set the rules on when and how and where you can use your money. So if I don't want you being able to transact beyond five kilometers or miles from your home, you can't, your money won't work five miles. So if you're in a 15 minute city, your money can work inside the 15 minute, but it can't work anyplace else. Unless maybe you shop online at Amazon, but it won't work with other companies. So they can set very granular rules about, and they can just take your money or freeze it. You know, total, whatever sanctions they're doing to Russians or domestic or, you know, foreign or domestic terrorists. So, so if, if they don't want you buying, they say, okay, Maria, you really should slim down a little. We don't want you buying pizza. You can't buy pizza. I mean, we're talking about a slavery system and it's not a currency. It's a control system and it's total control. Digital currency is one of the enslavement initiatives that the United Nations is working to promote along with global health security. Medical and digital security will be the excuses they use to implement these digital currencies. We're, con- we're talking about a slavery system. Yeah. It's yeah. a slavery system. And, and it's, you know, and it will come with an enormous amount of technology and mind control. And there is no doubt they want a lower population. So if you look at, there's been something going on in the United States since approximately, I, I trace it back to 1995, which I call the Great Poisoning. And 1995, they tried to negotiate a uh, a financially responsible package to get the long-term retirement liabilities and healthcare liabilities in line with the budget, and it failed. And the people in charge of the financial system, my interpretation of what happened was they said, you know, the current balance of power between the fiscal and the monetary with the fiscal uh, responding to voters doesn't work because basically the fiscal guys just want to print money and give it to their pals. It's, it doesn't, you know, there's no constituency for financial responsibility. So what we're going to do is we're going to engineer a financial coup. And as you know, we're basically going to, we're going to collapse the fiscal mechanism. We're going to steal all the money and I can go, it's what I call the financial coup. It's very complicated and I can describe to you what they did and how they, they did. And we're now in the end game on the financial coup is what's happening. And um, the next thing they did in October after the budget deal failed and everything busted and they sort of threw up their hands and gave up, they approved the Oxycontin at the FDA and they approved predatory lending at HUD. And the next thing you know, poor neighborhoods are overwhelmed by predatory lending and the pill mills. And, And so what started to happen was many, many, and if you look at what they did in the food system, same. So the big poisoning was in the food system. But if you look at hundreds of different policies, they started to slowly lower life expectancy. And of course, that's accelerated with the pandemic. In the United States, life expectancy in the last three years has dropped three years. So, and if you look at the rise in all-cause mortality and the drop in life expectancy, Sure enough, this is stabilizing all the different retirement systems, uh, with some exceptions, is what it looks like to me. The government and its private backers owe far more money than they can possibly repay in the form of retirement benefits, Medicare, and Social Security. So one way to solve their financial problem is to reduce the number of beneficiaries by lowering the overall life expectancy of their beneficiaries through engineered crises, drug abuse, food tampering, and other hidden measures. 
That also aligns with the UN and globalist plans to reduce overall populations around the world by 50 to 95% because we're, you know, using up all their resources. That kind of population reduction is now within their reach because now they have access to all kinds of exotic weapons that most of us have never even dreamed could exist, much less actually do exist and are being used. They have the power to assert more control through invisible weaponry. Okay, so what was Maui? Whatever Maui was, it was implemented by invisible weaponry. There's a wonderful, um, I can, it helps to understand stories during the um, during the initial lockdowns. There was a wonderful premier of one of the regions in one of the states in Australia, uh, Canada, who uh, was doing a call-in show. And I have this; I've shown this in certain presentations. And he, um, uh, uh, somebody called in and said, "Why can't we have hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin?" Now, in politics, when you get a question that you don't want to answer, what you do, you're taught to say, oh, thank you very much. That's a great question. And then do a complete non sequitur and answer the question you wish you'd gotten. Okay. Yes. And it's a, it's a very, and he did immediately, did a very elegant professional job. He's clearly a very competent politician. He does a segue into talking about how wonderful the vaccines are. And you can see the audience and the host and the, the person, you can feel their energy. They're like, what, what's What's he talking about? What's he doing? Why isn't he answering the question? And you could see at some point he felt badly about it. So he suddenly says, you know, and while we're at it, I want to thank the people who sent the rain because without the rain, the farmers would be, you know, bankrupt and it would destroy us because we're highly dependent on agriculture for our economy. And then everybody's going like, what is he talking about? And then several months later, he resigned from politics and left. Well, he's talking about weather warfare. Right. You know, basically he was being told if you don't do what you're told, you're going to get, you know, one, your farmers aren't going to get any rain, but then you'll probably get fires too. And, but he, he, he can't tell the voting pop what's blackmailing him because they can't fathom that it exists. Right. So, so the question is why would 190 plus leaders go along with something which is horrible for them and their country and their economy well, they would go it because they have a gun at their head. And, and there are many different guns they can point at their heads. So it could be they have a control file, and that's a gun pointed at their head. They can be promised kickbacks and lots of wonderful benefits, and you know, and, and maybe they're ready to play ball because it's wonderful for them and their family. Um, they could be doing it because they, you know, they're being threatened with weather warfare or, or these other invisible weapons. And what's interesting is when you when I've I've talked about the invisible weaponry for years, and one of our biggest sections in unanswered questions is sort of what are the invisible weapons available, and you know, and who has them, and who can defend against them? Because if we wanted to understand what's happening in the economy, that's the first piece of intelligence we would want to know. Well, so and it's very hard to get reliable information, and there's tremendous amounts of disinformation as well. But I will tell you, I first came, I first started talking about this in 2000. I'm trying to remember what year the Indonesian tsunami was. I think it was 2004. I was, I was helping somebody with their investments and they wanted to buy a world bond fund. So uh, after much searching, I found a world, I don't like world bond funds, but I found one that I liked. It was a close-in fund and I almost never touched things like that. But 
um, and it had about 15% of its uh, uh, of the money in the Indonesian sovereign bonds. Anyway, so he put a lot of money into this closed-end fund, and then not that long after, uh, it dropped overnight like a stone, um, 15%, for no reason. There was no change in the market, no change in... And, and, and the trading on closed-end funds is very, very thin. There was massive trading, massive selling. I was like, this case, I'd never seen anything like it. And I, you know, we called the sponsor, it was an excellent sponsor, very good company. I'm trying to figure out what, how could this be? And why would it happen? It doesn't make any sense. And then the Indonesian tsunami happened. And I said, oh, they knew. They knew more than a week ahead of the tsunami enough to trade it. And of course, if you look at the disaster capital that happened right after the Indonesian tsunami, it was massive. They were already with the redevelopment plan. These are the little intelligence nuggets that we need to piece together an accurate picture of our enemy's true capabilities. The best laid plans of Satan can often be exposed simply through the greed of his supporters. Big investors don't like to lose money, and the best way to avoid losing money is to know where there is going to be a major natural engineered disaster like the Indonesian tsunami so they can play the market to their advantage. When a person knows a disaster is absolutely going to happen, getting rich off of it is no harder than taking candy from a baby. I mean, if you look at how narcotics trafficking are used to engineer a leverage buyout of a neighborhood, it's a leverage buyout model. And yes, they do leverage buyouts on, on, on companies, but they do leverage buyouts on communities. And the goal of place-based takeovers is to finance your takeover of a place with their money and resources. You know, so you grab control. And that's where the invisible weaponry comes in, whether it's mind control being, you know, whether it's the surveillance and mind control on everybody's smartphone in the place, or it's the kind of invisible weaponry we're watching. We saw in California in 2017, we saw in, um, you know, we're seeing in Maui and it's, it's, you know, so, so, the mo if the genie came out of the bottle and said you can have any intelligence you'd want, I'd want a complete dossier on who's got what and how it works. And it's funny, you know, one of the things that happened when Trump became president is he would say, he would make these veiled references to our, you know, secret weaponry. And his secretary of defense would be next to him going, no, no. <laughs> but you could see he he understood that the state of you know, the empire was far more powerful than it looked because of this. So Catherine solves one of the great mysteries about why the Democrats and so many people in the government, including many Republicans, hated Donald Trump with a passion and tried relentlessly to drive him from government. He blurts out information about their secret silent weapon systems that they desperately want to keep silent and secret. Deployment of certain secret silent weapons is the single most effective way to gaslight an entire population and convince them that a massive, huge lie is the truth, and God's truth is a lie. Whether Donald Trump is one of the globalists or not, I don't know, but his loose lips are viewed as too much of a risk to have him in a position of power such as President of the United States. This is a global control model. And it's only a matter of timing until, you know, they want total control of every person in every place. And they think with digital technology, they can do it. And so one of the reasons to push back and push back as soon as possible and as hard as you can is there is no way. You know, unless you have the ability to get on a spaceship and go to a planet where they're not doing this, 
there is no away. So there is no, ultimately, there is no solution that you can implement on an individual or personal level that's going to work. I mean, we have to, the human race has to fight for a human future or, you know, we're all going down. And that's what I saw in 91. And that's why I've been doing what I've been doing ever since, because my attitude is, you know, I can't, I can't figure out how to be free by myself. I can only be free if everybody else is free. It's a model and it's a planetary model. And we have to, you know, it's for many years, what I've said is we need a reset. We have to do a reset because the current model won't work. And the question is, it's a Tina Turner question. Is this going to be nice or rough? And Mr. Global has decided to do rough, but nice as possible. There is a nice reset that could work. Now, given that we've delayed doing it for 30 years, <laughs> it's a little bit harder to do nice fast. You can't do nice fast. So it's going to, you know, it'll be rocky, but we can get to nice, you know, and I'm willing to fight and die for nice. Uh, you know, I'm not going to. I never worry about rough because I'm not going to be alive in that world. I don't want to live in that world. I'm, you know, you and I are not going to be slaves. So we don't have to worry about adapting to that world because we won't live in it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, well, I'm a, you know, I see the cross. I'm a Christian. Death is not the worst thing that can happen, right? So yeah. if you believe your soul is immortal, that's all you need to worry about. The other thing I want to say when it comes to place, and I'll get back to some more practical things. I absolutely believe we each have a purpose for our lives. So that's when you come to Solarian, we say free and inspired life. You know, everybody has their purpose and that's between you and your creator. So that's between you and, and the, I would say as a person, that's between you and the Lord. But if you are doing what he asks you to do, you will be safe. I agree that this is a global control model, but I have to differ with Catherine that if you do what God wants you to do, you will be safe. God does not promise us safety. God does not promise us easy or secure or comfortable. What he does promise, and the only thing that he promises, is that if you believe Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and confess him with your lips, then you will be saved. Now, you might enhance your reward by doing what God wants you to do, but doing what God wants you to do might not entail being particularly safe. Now, for sure, God can keep us safe if he wants to keep us safe, as evidenced by the travails of Paul but he doesn't promise to keep us safe or to keep us from experiencing a certain amount of tribulation along the way, including an unpleasant and even prolonged death, as also evidenced by Paul and Peter and all the rest of the apostles with the possible exception of John. I just wanted to make that clear. Have you ever watched the James Bond movies? Because they give away a lot of the James Bond movies. Oh, some. Uh, there's an, um. Okay, well, there's an organization called Spectre. Mm -hmm. And it's global organized crime and it's gotten a hold of the satellites and the technology. And now, you know, and, and now we're up against global, you know, we're up against Spectre. So I think most of the sovereign leaders who are in a global, you know, every sovereign leader is in a debt trap and a trade trap. And, 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 you know, with a population who wants their check and doesn't want to know about what's really going on. And they're up against Spectre. And how are they going to say no to Spectre? If you look at how many guys in, in Africa who were killed or, or thrown out because they wouldn't play ball in the lockdowns, it's pretty chilling. Absolutely. You know, there have been a lot of brave, a lot of brave politicians who stood up to the machinery. They've gotten killed or destroyed. And to be blunt, the general population, you know, in many cases did not did not support them to the extent that was needed to overcome. So yeah. that's why I say, 
you know, stop building the machine, stop financing the machine, stop helping the machine and start to get with people you can trust to build real resiliency and real solutions. But for God's sakes, you know, right now the general population is 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 supporting net 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 in terms of what they finance what they buy what they honor what they watch what they ingest in terms of entrainment and propaganda the general population is supporting the bad guys and and so the general population has to decide whether you know they want to play ball and walk into the the slaughter facility you know like a good little sheep or do they, you know, do they want to protect their immortal soul and say, no, we're not going along with this and make no mistake about it. They're not just coming for your assets. The number one asset you have are your kids. That's who they'll get. Well, they're I mean, already, I don't know if you know I mean, with, with, with the indoctrination of this generation, uh, whether your children are protected or not, for the most part, that they're affected. And so we, we you know, we, we see this newer generation is so so challenging to understand in many ways because of the indoctrination program of the schools. Um, I think I think we're in real danger when they come to the point where they're sort of in the workforce genuinely. Um, so we have to protect them ultimately because they're the future. <laughs> right. So I, you know, I just have to say. I am an optimist. So I have another interview at Solari called Why I'm an Optimist. And I am an optimist. And I'm an optimist because I think I think the, the global control model will fail. It's so out of alignment with life. Um, there's a wonderful documentary. I don't know if you've seen it, that uh, a wonderful producer and director here in the Netherlands made called State of Control. It was documentary of the year on the Solari Report last year, and it sort of goes through the control machinery that's being built, and then some of us talking about why we don't think it will succeed. You know, my challenge is, I think if you if you look at what's going on right now, unless we have a remarkable shift by the general population, they're going to be able to kill a tremendous number of people before they fail. So it's unfortunately it's the good news is i think they're going to fail the bad news is i don't underestimate the pain that will be inflicted before they do they are coming for your wealth they are coming for your health they are coming for your kids and they have every intention of wreaking havoc and death along the way this aligns perfectly with end times prophecies in the bible the crib notes version of end times prophecy is given in three places each of which describes the same events Matthew 24, Revelation 2 and 3, and Revelation 6. In my view, we pass through the first of these stages, which is symbolized in Revelation 6 as the white horse judgment. Go back to episode 47 for a few details on why. The next stage is symbolized in Revelation 6 as the red horse judgment, which is characterized by the removal of peace from the earth. This still future, but probably not far future event, will unleash a worldwide police action that will probably be combined with lockdowns that lead to clashes with authorities, including globalist enforcers. It will particularly target Christians and Jews. Next will come worldwide famine, the Black Horse, which will be an engineered famine, and then death, the ashen green horse, which symbolizes the widespread killing of massive numbers of people. These will be the birth pangs leading up to the rise of Antichrist. The problem with being at war and not knowing we're at war is that we might get caught in a raging wildfire or some other natural disaster and just think it's bad luck. 
the best weapons are the ones where casualties can be blamed on natural events. Is the world suddenly experiencing an onslaught of heart attacks, myocarditis, pericarditis, strokes, and turbo cancers in healthy young people who normally don't get these things? Does the central three-quarters of the United States normally bake under a high-pressure system that just parks itself over the center of the country like it was Bermuda in the summer? Do fires suddenly break out all across Canada and the United States simultaneously in dozens of locations without ignition by lightning or some other obvious cause? In episode 27, we were introduced to HARP, the high-frequency active auroral research program, and all the wonderful research it reportedly does. And in episode 39, we discussed some of the exotic weapons that the United States Department of Defense and the U.S. Congress have admitted to developing over the years, one of which is weather warfare weaponry. Twenty years ago, the Department of Defense was bragging that it would be able to control the weather by 2024. So let me translate that statement. The United States government, through the Department of Defense, has been developing weather warfare weapons that the defense experts in the DoD expected to become operational right about now. They were not excited to be able to tweak the weather and help a few farmers get some much-needed rain. They were not excited to be able to mitigate severe storms to make them less destructive. They were excited to be making weapons of war that could be used in weather manipulation to bring death and destruction to a target area, which is the purpose of a weapon. They were excited about developing weather warfare weapons because weather weapons are silent weapons that enable tyrannical governments to do several things simultaneously while keeping their operations completely secret. It gives them the ability to degrade areas of high vegetation productivity to create shortages where abundance is normal. It gives them the ability to release large volumes of water in very dry areas, creating flash floods and massive destruction. It gives them the ability to enhance wildfire danger by drying out a countryside and then triggering fire-starting events. Fire has been used as a weapon for millennia to drive out or kill people who are inconveniently in the way. All it takes is a few months of dry weather and an ignition source to create chaos and fear over a wide area. And ignition sources come in all shapes and sizes, from manipulated community activists to drones equipped with small flamethrowers, as well as government agent saboteurs. Fires can even be started using directed energy weapons like the Navy, Air Force, and Army have been developing for decades. And yes, according to the Government Accounting Office, they have developed some very effective directed energy weapons. John Ludwigson, who works for Contracting and National Security Acquisition for the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, was authorized to tell us a little bit about the energy weapons the United States government has been developing. The Department of Defense spends about $1 billion annually developing directed energy weapons, such as high-energy lasers and high-powered microwaves. These weapons can disrupt or destroy their targets at the speed of light. For example, DOD has developed high-energy lasers that have successfully shot down drones, but speed isn't their only advantage. They're also less expensive per use than traditional weapons like guns and missiles. Despite those potential advantages, DOD has had trouble getting these technologies out of the lab and into service. The Army has developed a detailed transition plan to support moving these weapons into the next stages of development. We recommended that the Navy and the Air Force develop similar plans. Gosh, he says, they can shoot down little toy drones. Well, you can rest assured that they can do much more than that for $1 billion annually in light money, which is the part of the spending we're allowed to see. We have no idea how much dark money goes into these projects. 
We do know that Lockheed Martin, one of the world's largest military contractors, is all on board with directed energy weapons. Lockheed Martin produces systems that do everything from detect the threats to identify the threats, determine whether it's a threat to the aircraft, and then employs the appropriate weapon, in this case, a laser weapon system. Now, wait a minute. I thought that lasers had only managed to shoot down drones. This Lockheed Martin representative says these weapons are deployed on our aircraft to engage active threats. Threats to the most sophisticated aircraft in the world are a lot more sophisticated than little toy drones. What we're hearing from our customers is that they need a layered, multi-domain defensive approach that can be integrated across platforms to neutralize these threats across all those domains. Imagine an aircraft equipped with a laser system with the capability to be able to neutralize a threat at the speed of a lightning strike the precision of a surgical scalpel, with the magazine to deal with a swarm, and with the scalable effect to be able to address that threat, providing an effect all the way the one end from simply deterring it for a short period of time, all the way up to completely neutralizing and defeating that threat. We were able to integrate our laser weapon system, Athena, into the classified C2 network and receive cues from the radar on the range in order to execute the full kill chain. That is military speak for a weapon that has been developed. Now, what you can't see in the audio are the accompanying illustrations of an aircraft engaging targets in the air and on the ground. And how do directed energy weapons work? They disrupt the functioning of a target by primarily burning a hole through the target. But airborne threats are moving targets, so the only way to burn a hole through it is either to have a very intense burst of energy that immediately burns into an object, or a computer has to hold the energy weapon on the target precisely until it can build up enough energy to burn through it. A very difficult thing to do on a moving target. If a directed energy weapon can take out a missile at 60 miles, what can it do to a forest? The Helios laser weapon system builds on 40 years of combat system engineering and radar excellence. That is a fundamental change for laser weapon systems, which here to date have been prototypes added to a ship. Helios will be integrated into the ship. So what's exciting about this technology is that it's scalable. It's lived in the laboratory for many years, but it's finally reached the power levels and the effectiveness to allow it to be used on the battlefield. As an example, today's laser weapon systems can be used to defeat rockets, artillery, mortars, and even small UAVs. And as that technology and capability scales, the effectiveness scales with it. We'll be to the point here shortly where we'll be able to defend aircraft against incoming missiles and even reach out over long distances and destroy ballistic missile threats. Whoops! How did they let that slip through? Energy weapons are not only lasers that cook and melt things, they are weapons that utilize microwave radiation to do many, many different things to the unfortunate target of the attack. Microwaves. Think 4 and 5G. Even overt propaganda pieces have some valuable information embedded in them. 
He just told us that these weapons have been deployed. They are on aircraft right now. Does that mean they were used to start the Maui fires or the California fires? No, of course not. It doesn't. But I'm showing you how easy it would be for the government to combine these technologies that it's building to engage in warfare to create a massive psychological operation to convince you and me that there are existential threats we face called the climate catastrophe and global warming that will require us to give up fundamental rights and liberties to save the earth. Just like we were told we had to give up our fundamental liberties to save the world from a virus, and we'll probably be told that again this fall. All the military needs to do is cook an area for a while under a high-pressure atmospheric dome, dry it out, and then start fires to create chaos. A climate emergency is the ultimate tool they're going to use to impose a worldwide tyranny and reduce populations across the globe, and they will get away with it because the sheeple people do not know they are at war, have no idea who their real enemies are, and have no concept of the sophistication of the weapons that they're facing. I guess the very best weapon is not one that goes undetected, but one that goes undetected and convinces the enemy that they need to exterminate themselves. So while Banana Joe Biden works to take away your incandescent light bulbs and gasoline-powered lawnmowers and gas-powered generators and grills, he's allowing government-run facilities like HARP to consume billions of cubic feet of natural gas to produce energy that's used to literally bake the upper atmosphere to produce all kinds of effects on the ground. This kind of covert climate and weather modification deception is one reason why God selects the type of judgments he unleashes on the world in the end times. Revelation chapter 8 recounts the trumpet judgments, where God burns up a third of the earth, a third of the trees, and all the green grass. If the globalists want to lie and pretend that fossil fuel burning is responsible for weather changes rather than their weather modification weapons, God will wield an actual weather modification weapon for those military geniuses to contend with. And in Revelation 16, during the bowl judgments, God will use the sun to scorch people with fire, with such fierce heat that they will curse him, yet they will not repent or give him glory. If our tyrant leaders want to play with weather weapons, God will do them one better. But these weapons are merely tools that will be used to create the ultimate deception that will bring people to the Antichrist and into his domain. Everything that's being done now by these globalist tyrants is preparing for the ultimate unveiling of Antichrist and the Great Deception. The purpose of the constant engineered crises is to create a climate of fear through which the public can be manipulated and coerced into doing the things that they ordinarily would not do. Fear produces desperation, and desperation produces loyalties to people and things that mitigate the fear. Are you terrified of a virus? Then you'll run to any person or medication that claims it can protect you. All you will need to do is go get a shot. And then get another shot because the first one wasn't effective enough. And then get another shot because they said so. And if you get sick, blame it on the virus and then run out and get a flu shot or the next iteration of the miracle vax. People love to embrace tyranny in the face of fear. The Germans were told to be afraid of the Jews, and they got Nazi Germany. The Russians were told to be afraid of the Tsars, who were authoritarian, and they got communism, a far worse authoritarian government of absolute tyranny. While historic forms of tyranny are disturbing, they're just the surface expression of a deeper and far more ambitious form of tyranny that aims to control, well, pretty much everything. It isn't enough just to control a land area or a population or even the whole planet through an international organization. 
These rising tyrants want to own and control literally everything that exists on the earth. They want to own all the land, all the wealth, all the resources of the planet, the entire food supply, the cities, the countryside, the energy resources, and the very water we drink. But even that is not enough for them. They won't feel that they have enough control until they accomplish two other things. First, they want to control our minds by manipulating our thoughts and perceptions through the neural pathways in our brains, but also by manipulating the energy fields outside of and around our bodies. Energy fields affect how we sense our surroundings, how we interpret information, and how we interact with the things around us. Second, they want to control the design of nature by changing the substance of our bodies and those of every animal around us. They are no longer happy with their story of natural evolution. They intend to change natural evolution to directed evolution so they can remake the creation in man's and AI's image. That is the grand purpose of synthetic biology, the merging of technology and biology. They will not sell this plan of theirs to you that way, but instead will promote it through all sorts of health and wellness promises which will be presented within an environment of health mania. This is why the governments around the world have been promoting the single overriding human value of health at any cost, as if anything less than erecting an idol to health is unacceptably evil toward your fellow people kind. They prey on the natural fear of death that comes with being alive by offering technological solutions to the problems of illnesses, many of which they have created artificially. This overwhelming fear of death and dying is Satan's ultimate weapon by which he, through world government, will bring about the world's greatest deception. The only antidote to the deception is abandoning the idol of good health, confessing Jesus Christ and submitting to God. For the day is approaching when the deception will be unleashed on and believed by the whole world. Jesus testified in Matthew 24, 24, that false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. False Christs, savior figures, and false prophets, instructor figures, will deceive the public through a health management system. We saw how easy it was for the governments to deceive people during the COVID crisis, even the elect, and we haven't even gotten to the signs and false wonders part yet. Signs are physical events that testify to the divine nature of something, and wonders are miraculous events that evidence a divine source. Jesus himself testified that great signs and wonders will deceive the whole world, and Paul clarified that the wonders will be false. The signs will be real, because signs are just notices that point to a reality, but they will be deceptive because they will identify the wrong thing as divine. The wonders, on the other hand, will be manipulations, frauds, forgeries, but very cleverly constructed and carefully deployed frauds. They will be very much like a magician's act. It sure looks real when magicians do their tricks, but they're really just tricks. There is a deception behind all of them. In the case of the Antichrist, the signs will point toward the Antichrist as being a divine being, and the wonders will show evidence of his divinity. He is going to proclaim his own divinity, and the world is going to believe him. People will believe that he is the return of Jesus Christ himself. I don't mean they will think that he thinks he's Jesus. I mean they will actually think he is Jesus. That's how he's going to gain a massive and fanatical following. 
The deception will be so well constructed that it would fool even the elect if it were possible, and the reason it won't be possible is because the elect are not going to be around by that point. They will have been removed from the battlefield either by the forces who are loyal to Antichrist by killing them, or by God through the rapture. The world will believe that the Antichrist is Jesus Christ, but God will do some terrifying things to convince them otherwise. So how is all this deception going to come about? What could possibly create a psychosis so large, so broad, and so inclusive that it will consume all of humanity? It will be done partly through theology, partly through technology, and partly through spiritology. The theological part will be a confluence of Christianity, Islam, and paganism to create a unified, synthesized religion that will unite the world under a single powerful leader known as the false prophet in the Bible. This new religion will favor the Islamic and pagan versions of prophecy over the Jewish and Christian revelations of scripture, thereby drawing a disproportionate number of Islamic converts into the fold. The technological part will be the construction of a partially synthetic neural network within the brains of human beings through the infusion of synthetic biology, the same synthetic biology that was brought to you by Pfizer and the DoD. This synthetic biology will be able to modify or control our perceptions through externally applied fields and energy sources directed by a centralized computer system. The deception is going to be aided by the purported emergence of aliens and alien communications from a superior race in another part of the galaxy, universe, or dimension who will come and provide us with new truths that contradict biblical truths. The deception will be further aided by holographic projections that will look absolutely real, especially when viewed through manipulated biosynthetic neurons in the brain, which will be used to demonstrate the truthfulness and power of the Antichrist. This deception will be further aided by the Voice of God technology, which has already been developed by the American military, which creates audible voices in the heads of target people that can mimic any kind of voice, from a child's voice to a godlike voice of terror, which will convey whatever messaging the military wants to convey. Having no idea what's happening, test subjects almost always believe whatever the voice tells him or her, and the voice is going to tell us that the Antichrist is Jesus himself. All of this supporting technology will be controlled through artificial intelligence and the Internet of Everything. AI and the Internet of Everything, along with even more evil sinister quantum computing, was developed at the direction of dark spiritual entities which we Christians call demons or fallen angels. This is the system through which these demons and fallen angels from long ago will once more rise to infest the world. They have encouraged their devoted satanic followers to develop these tools of the demons, which are being used right now to create the ultimate slave system from which no one is going to escape. It is the mark of the beast slave system, and this is what God's angel in Revelation 14 had to say about it. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or in their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. And yet the reason that the people will receive the mark is because they will believe with all their biosynthetic heart that the Antichrist is the Son of God and the power behind the Antichrist is the real God. The Bible refers to that spiritual power behind the Antichrist as the beast.
the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet will create a complete inversion of the Trinity, which the people of that day will believe to be the real Trinity because they're going to be deceived. This is the deception we Christians have a duty to try to prevent. Our job is to warn those who will be alive in that day of the deception so that they will know what's going on and will have the strength and courage to stand against it. The Bible assures us that not everyone will take the mark of the beast because people will come to Christ during the reign of Antichrist and also afterward, but many, many people are going to fall for it. Do we want our unbelieving neighbors to fall for it? Do we want our unbelieving family members to fall for it? Truth is the only thing that will overcome darkness because it's the only way that darkness will be revealed. This is why the powers of darkness are working overtime to crush truth beneath the boot of tyranny and silence the truth-tellers under the guise of saving us from misinformation. What's our job as Christians in the end times? We are to expose the lies, proclaim the truth, and prepare whoever will listen for the coming great deception so when they see it unfold, they will remember what they had been told. Oh, and one more thing that Catherine said in the interview. The most valuable thing we can have in this day is not anything material. It's the knowledge of who our friends are. She was not talking about our casual friends of the world, but our friends in Christ who will stand firm with us when the hard times hit. Learn who they are and stay close to them. If you found this podcast interesting, useful, or important, please recommend it to someone you know and punch that sign, symbol, or button to encourage others to listen. Underground Christian can be heard on several fine podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn, iHeart, Player FM, Listen Notes, Pandora, Samsung Podcasts, Podchaser, and UndergroundChristian.net. If you wish to contact me, please send an email to undergroundchristian at outlook.com. By the way, I am going to post some uh, links on the undergroundchristian.net website, so um, starting in these, this and future podcasts. So if you want to see some of those links, that's where you go to look for them. Lord Jesus, in this nightmare world that is converging into the Matrix, Hunger Games, and Terminator simultaneously, we need help. We pray against the evil of this world, against the forces of darkness that are conducting their activities through the rulers of this world, and against the demonic spirit of this age. We pray that the people who work for these dark forces are frustrated in their attempts to exploit advanced technology for their deceptive advantages and to our detriment. Protect those who are fighting for you, who are trying to shine a light of righteousness into an increasingly dark world of evil. It's kind of like it's late twilight and our little AAA battery flashlight is starting to flicker. Send some spiritual batteries. Send a new flashlight. But mostly, send us courage and strength to stand and proclaim the truth in the face of a hostile and divisive world, not to mention a world filled with governmental thugs who relish their positions of power and influence and don't mind abusing either for the privileges that that power brings. Spread their relish on a hot dog and consume them with the power of your truth, or at least give them some insight into how evil and malicious they've become and the certain outcome of such malice if they don't repent. We all have things to repent about, so while we rail against the evil of this day, give us the heart and compassion to understand that, but for the grace of God, go I. We were once like them and still have our own problems, so we never want to forget that there is still hope for them, no matter how despicable their actions may be. Give us grace, give them grace, and if we have to go down in flames, help us go down as the kind of representatives here on the battlefield earth that you want us to be. And anytime you want to send a holy angel or two to contend alongside us, we'd be really grateful. We praise you for who you are and the Lord Jesus for being our faithful leader, king, and savior for the work he did on the cross on our behalf. 
And we don't want to forget the Holy Spirit either. He gets so little publicity.